Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Kenny Young for Astrobot Rescue Mission. It's a PlayStation VR game that came out late last year, 2018. As always with Kenny Young, the music is great, it's clever, uh, and Kenny finds a way to bring a smile to the face. You might know Kenny's work from the Little Big Planet series, and we've talked to Kenny in the past about Tearaway, Tethered, and Wonder Worlds. No shortage of great music from Kenny Young. I started off by asking Kenny to talk a little bit about the game and what it's like. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's. I mean, the game Astrobot Rescue Mission came out in uh, October 2018, so it's, that feels like yesterday, but that's, that's yeah. almost a year ago. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I just looked at, I looked at my calendar there. I was like, hold on, August is like number eight. October's <laughs> number 10. Yeah. They are quite similar. Well so done. So yeah, it doesn't, that, I know, genius, eh? Watch out. This is a sharp mind here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I just, I hadn't, um, it's almost a year. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. so I'm not in like <laughs> PR mode right. at all. <laughs> I've forgotten everything. So this might be a bit of a, <laughs> Hilarious. Bit of a short, a short interview, but, um, yeah, Astrobot Rescue Mission is a virtual reality platforming game for PlayStation VR. It was developed in uh, Japan by Sony Japan Studio and, um, I got asked to take part by a chap called Nicholas Doucet, who's the uh, creative director and senior producer in Japan Studios' Asobi team. And, and a lot of people will be familiar with their work from um, The Playroom, which when the PlayStation 4 first came out, if you remember, you yeah. could buy the uh, camera accessory. And that uh, if you had that, then there was a, a free game you could download called The Playroom, which had these cute little bots in it that you could interact with, sort of augmented reality on your TV screen. Uh, that was made by the, the Sobe team. And uh, then when the PlayStation VR first came out, they made a thing called the Playroom VR, which again featured these little um, cute robot characters. And there was a, it was a real sort of smorgasbord of different uh, gameplay ideas, different kinds of ways you could interact with these little robots. But one of the, 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 the sort of prototypes that really resonated with gamers was... Um, one called Robot Rescue, where you had to sort of hunt down these little missing robots in, in an environment. And um, and that was actually co-op. I think there was one player on the TV and another player in VR, and you kind of worked together to find these little robots. And yeah, people really loved that and were saying, you know, you should make a game out of this. And um, I think the Sobe team already had an idea in mind that that's what they wanted to do next anyway, because they also saw the potential in it. But the fact that people were saying that that was their favorite experience, sort of, you know, gave them that extra confidence to go in that direction. So yeah. Yeah, fast forward a couple of years and um, they were uh, working on this thing and were, you know, ways into development. And then I guess they were starting to think about music. And um, Nicholas and I used to uh, work together at Sony's London studio, um, a good, you know, like, I don't know, sort of getting on for 15 years ago now um i mean never actually worked together on the on the same project we were just sort of knew each other <laughs> socially like friday night drinking crew <laughs> kind of thing but you know uh and then we both went our separate ways i went to media molecule um and nick obviously then went out to japan but we just sort of kept in touch kind of facebook friends and saw each other at you know game events like gdc and stuff like that um 
But originally, I think um, Nicholas was using a lot of Little Big Planet music as temp score in uh, Astrobot, and so he he got in touch with me originally just to kind of ask me about uh, the process of putting together the soundtrack for Little Big Planet. You know, like the the licensed music and the original music and stuff. And I think mm-hmm. they were thinking about going down the licensed music route. Um, oh. And I I kind of <laughs> kind of put him off. I think just by <laughs> Uh, I think maybe maybe not having done it before, he just assumed that that was like you know easy, just uh-huh. because it's pre-existing music. And naively, yeah, it's easy in a sense that if you can identify music you like, then that means you don't have the 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 pain of or the difficulty of having to like <laughs> collaborate with a composer and yeah. uh, go through that whole process. But it actually takes a long time, so it's yes. therefore you know resource intensive. Like it's really it's really a full time job for someone, and there's people whose job it is at Sony to do that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of time scales, it didn't really work. And also the other thing is that licensed music is actually a lot more expensive than hiring someone to do it. Yeah. So the time scales and the, the cost kind of put them off. And then even I wasn't I was just helping him out as a as a friend with you know with relevant experience that I wasn't sort of, you know, trying to put him off so he'd give me the work or anything like that. <laughs> but but when, but then in retrospect, that's kind of what happened because then he was like, oh, well, do you want to write the music? And I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that obviously I'd um, written for platforming games before um, meant that I had relevant experience. So it's not, it wasn't a total mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, you'll do <laughs> kind right. of situation. <laughs> I'd like to think he thought I, I maybe brought something to the table as well. Um, but yeah, that's how it all started. And so, um, yeah, we met, uh, he came over for a meeting in London and I, I met up with him and he played, I played a few levels in the game. We talked a little bit about it and then uh, that sort of sealed the deal. And so that was the end of 2017 and I started working um really sort of January 2018 on that and was on it for um, the duration until we shipped it in uh, kind of, I can't remember exactly, it must have been August last year. I was splitting my time uh, on 50% on Astrobot and 50% on the game which I've just finished a few weeks ago uh, called uh, Nights and Bikes, which is coming out uh, at the end of this month, on the 27th of August. Oh. Um, but I'm not doing uh, music on that. That's I'm just doing the sound on that one. Um, oh, fun. But, but, but yeah, last year was pretty chaotic, uh, spinning plates, having both those projects on at the same time. So there, yeah, there's, there's there's just over an hour of music in Astrobot, and I I guess it was maybe like three and a half four months of my time I spent on it split out over those kind of seven months I was on the project, um, but yeah, it's uh, musically it's it's probably the most intense music I've ever had to write. That's why I was <laughs> asking you how it was on, on your bike <laughs> because you know is it, it, it like a lot of platforming games. It's quite an old school presentation even though it's VR and it's kind of cutting yep. edge in that regard. It's also very much an old school platformer so it's wallpaper music. It's not sophisticated in that sense. It's just you know there's music everywhere. Um there's, there's just not much in the way of relying on um 
just sound and things like that, which is the opposite from Lights and Bikes, which is very much like a sound-centric experience. So working those at the same time was actually, it was nice to have the juxtaposition of like one project that was full-on wallpaper platforming music and another one which was more like this ambient <laughs> sound design thing. It somehow meant comp compartmentalizing um meant that having those at the same time was doable. I wasn't there wasn't any sort of crossover <laughs> between the projects <laughs> for me to get confused and start injecting, you know, Astrobot vibes into nights and bikes and vice versa. So anyway, that worked. But um yeah, it's really intense music. It relies on the music to really drive the experience and the player forward and keep the intensity up and keep the pressure up. Uh, you know, it's kind of a high wire act as you're sort of running through the levels, uh, jumping on Minnie's heads and uh, just trying to sort of make pr progress. And the music's there constantly just sort of encouraging you, but also <laughs> giving you the fear. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it was, that was a slightly different experience for me because I, I don't know if I've ever written any music that's particularly chilled out uh, for a platformer it's, they don't really lend themselves to that they they are quite intense experiences but this was like nick was always just like more i need more it needs to be faster it needs to be louder and um and yeah that was that that was challenging because um hadn't had to do that across an entire experience And then, of course, then you get the boss fights. <laughs> it's right, like, right. those need cranked up even more. So yeah, it was um, it was a little bit different. And in terms of direction, the, the main thing was because of the game features these little um, robot characters, um, I was trying to find ways in the music to uh, back that up um, and also back up the kind of digital aesthetic that there is in, mm -hmm. the, in the art style. Um, so the way that manifests itself was through a, a use of a lot of um, robotic voices. So I kind of explored various different ways of having either synthetic uh, singing or synthetic speech, uh, relying on vocoders, text-to-speech uh, plug-in. Nice. Um, um, a voice box, uh, sort of Stevie Wonder style uh -huh. type, type things. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that, that was good fun, just, you know, thinking of different ways to... Uh, get that robotic kind of element in there but also i think it, that particularly added a warmth to the, the experience because just getting a little bit of speech particularly you know human speech because that's yeah. the nice thing about a vocoder or a voice box is that a talk box i should say sorry it's um yeah it, it gets a little bit of humanity in there uh, even if it's like 50 percent human and 50 percent <laughs> synthesis um and that's not something that the game as a whole have because had because it is so kind of about these little robots so getting a little mm -hmm. bit of and opportunities, right? You know, not quite songs, but you know, just some vocal hooks and stuff like that was was a lot of fun. I think added a lot to the experience. And then there's also stuff like um, trying to up the digital sound. I've used quite a lot of stutter edits, um, which I've I've used sort of sparingly in my work before. But this was an opportunity to like, dial it up to eleven and um, yeah, give an they're, example they're, of that. Yeah, so um, the opening track in the game is uh, twelve bar bot. And, um, you know, it's a fun, uplifting track. It's you know not testing anybody. It's just sort of a 12-bar blues. So it's just um, something very familiar. Yeah. Um, but it kind of sets the scene nicely as well because it's using a lot of these um, 
a little kind of um, music ideas that I've been talking about to to reflect the the character and the setting. Um, so yeah, you'll hear the stutter edits in there. They're not everywhere because it is such a bold effect that you do still have to be tasteful with it. But yeah, I think that's a pretty good example. That track was also the first track I wrote for the for the game, um, largely because that was the level that was the most polished uh, right at the beginning of my involvement, okay. and, and that I had played. So that was their kind of vertical slice, if you like. Um, and so they were really keen on uh, me like nailing the music for that from the get go, just because that was then like okay, we've got the like the basic building blocks for for the game and for the for the music direction going forward so that was quite a challenge because or you know it was just a little bit daunting because it was like all right just going to nail this straight off the, off the bat then <laughs> and i kind of did <laughs> which was which was good but the problem i then had was because it was so successful it was then it was like okay <laughs> i've got to do another hour of this um <laughs> But it can't all sound exactly like this. So that that then became the challenge was, you know, how to explore those little kernels of ideas that had been um, tried out in that track. had to come up with a melody that would work in you know the half a dozen or more different styles you wrote in in the first place right so i mean that you know yeah because there's like I surf mean, rock and disco and film noir and hip-hop and it's well like, i suppose that's the nice thing about working on a you know a platforming game is that that's a really common trick uh, like little big planet did the same thing you know it's to get the variety kind of the visual variety really in the experience and star wars does the same thing too you know like they're on the ice planet they're on the forest planet it's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it's just and soon so as soon as you've got that um real juxtaposition and variety in the setting then it's a it's a it's a good opportunity for the music to sort of go with that um and so that that makes life easier because you've got that built-in um variety to work with but then sure. of course the trick just becomes not making it so different that it feels like it's from a completely different game um, right. So again, just relying back on having a few, a little sort of grab bag of consistent uh, tricks uh, and musical ideas that can be used on these different tracks allows you to do, you know, quite quite go with quite different genres, but still um, keep it all together. And then the, the sort of the the sort of nineteen fifties <laughs> rock track, which is in the the shark boss, yeah, the surf um, rock, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so I mean that <laughs> in a way that's probably. That is that. I'm not sure if that one does actually is justifiable. <laughs> what? In that regard, it fits the setting because it's you know it's a shark boss. You're in you're surfing yeah. in the sea, and uh, that that's obviously justification for it. The only reason that I can really get away with it is that all the boss levels um, have the same uh, melody. Um, yeah. So so it was just a case of like oh well that 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 will make it fit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
thought it was great. I got a huge kick out of that one. Yeah, no, that was that that was that was good fun. <laughs> In the game, you can't actually hear it because it's so much water. Oh, going really? On. But yeah, yeah, it's like. <laughs> The mix in the game is pretty good, but there's some levels where, because the sound's a really important part of VR in terms of the immersion, that it, um, it kind of trumps the uh, the music in the mix. And that's definitely one where there's a lot of white noise. <laughs> so it's like, you know, listen to that one on the on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then there's like super, uh, I, I don't, I was going to say weird, but I don't mean it <laughs> like that. I, uh, the track like Inside the Whale or Polyethylene Paradise, I mean, those oh, are yeah. super trippy, like uh, Inside the Whale. <laughs> Let's talk about that one first, because I love how you like have these simulated whale sounds. Yeah, well, here. I mean, they're, they are real whale sounds. They uh, are? Believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, whales are, sea whales are weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whales are weird. So you're like, you're inside a whale in that level. You get swallowed by the whale, kind of Jonah style, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're in there. And um, that was an excuse just to have some, I guess, again, with my background as a, a sound designer, then an excuse to kind of um, use um, either abstract sound or in that c- case, kind of, you know, realistic concrete sounds in the music is is good fun. Yeah, there's a little bit of overlap there, obviously, with the work of the sound designer, but like there weren't any like overt whale sounds in the level at that point. So I was like, well, <laughs> I'm I'm taking that. <laughs> um, and of course, if they had put those sounds in the level, it probably would have been, it, you know, it wouldn't have been synchronized with the, with the music. So yep. it's nice if you can work with those ideas to sort of build it into the music as long as it's going to actually, you know, not betray the setting mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Of, of where of where the game is taking place. And yeah, so it starts out with with those whale sounds and it's fairly subtle. I think, you know, um, it's yeah. one of those things that m- a lot of people probably might not have noticed it when they're playing the game, but if you listen to the soundtrack, then that's that's in there. Um, and I suppose that's another sort of, the, the, that, that approach is there throughout a lot of the tracks, just little sort of sounds. A lot of it's actually just because of the, kind of um it's kind of like a sampling kind of aesthetic going on um which i guess is you know a big part of um hip-hop culture it's, it's just it's modern now it's just music these mm-hmm. days but mm-hmm. um because a lot of my music has a sort of a, a retro um thing going on that particularly in this game that the intention there is that it is kind of that kind of 90s um sampling based kind of aesthetic yeah um and so so yeah um but that track, uh, the, the Inside the Wheel track, is another track, which I think there's three versions of that. Um, there's the first one you get in the third level, which is Tight Mites, which appears to be people's favorite track. I love that track. kind of grabs people yeah sort of, it's, it's one of those things where you know it just the first time as soon as you hear it it's just like you know catches your yep. your attention it gets stuck in your head yeah, yeah and um like 
yeah, I mean, I think we've spoken about this before, but I, I don't find, I don't find that particularly difficult. It's just, um, <laughs> but I guess, I guess, because they're simple, naive melodies and chord progressions, they just have a tendency of doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I remember it was maybe the, I think the first Nick was in America and was showing the game to, I think, folk in Sony America marketing, and when they played that level, they were like, "Oh, who wrote the music? This is great." Um, and that was the first little sort of indication that that was going to be people's favorite track, just because oh, right from the get go, you know, people were like, "Oh, this is yep. this is you know this is this is good," um, which is quite unusual. Like you don't often get people calling out the music, um, and that can be a bad thing. Well, yeah, but I think <laughs> <laughs> you want people to be focusing on the game, but you know, a, a lot of games are about this kind of mixed media audio visual uh, presentation, and it's fine sometimes for the music to just be maybe not the focus, but to be a you know a huge contributing part of the experience to the point where people are like, oh, this is great, I love this. Mm-hmm. You know, reading a lot of the comments from um, from fans about that track and about that level, really, um, you know, they, they enjoy playing the level again just to actually listen to the music. Um, nice. And, you know, you could listen to it in the soundtrack, but it's not the same as thing as being in that cave with those giant glowing neon mushrooms. <laughs> 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 you know, it's just like, it is a, it is a bit of a, you know, an otherworldly experience. And that's one of the nice sort of things about VR is it can be uh, transportative. Yes. <laughs> if that is well a done. word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and th- one of the reasons I think that that track works so well is it's got this amazing sense of space in it because it's at a slower tempo. And, you know, the bass line um, yep. has, has these big gaps in it. So it's like doom, 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 doom. And then... Obviously, there's other another part is kicking in there, but that creates this sense of space in your head. That sort of bass motif was inspired by the idea of a cave and having space. And that's why it's called tight mites. It's like, you know, <laughs> stalagmites, stalactites. So it's like... Yeah. For me, that was like my visual inspiration for the shape of the baseline and the gaps and stuff. And whenever I can, I do try and um, I think in VR particularly, that sense of place is so strong that if you can back it up, it often results in a, uh, you know, it's like an additive. It's even it's even more additive than music is normally if you can just really try and nail that feeling of place. And I think that's the spot in the game where that is most successful. And interestingly, that track, again, because it's slow, it's this probably the slowest paced track in the whole game. Mm-hmm. And I think that people actually really enjoyed just that level taking down the intensity a notch. Because yeah, it yeah. allowed them to appreciate the place, the sense of place even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the music's a big part of that. Um, so yeah, I don't think when people enjoy a music track, it's necessarily just intrinsically the music, even if it is like uh, super catchy. But there's just there's more to it than that when you're you know you're taking part in this audiovisual experience. And uh, and yeah, so there's there's like a lesson there for me. I think that's something which if I do any more VR work uh, and music, I'll be uh, sort of thinking more about how I can pull that off because I think that that's a good example of doing that. Uh, 
so then what's the story behind polyethylene paradise? Because that starts in this like kind of fantasy world and then it goes into this like trippy rock thing, which is like yeah. almost underwater. It's, oh it's, yeah, so that, that's a, that's so. I'm, I'm assuming. Did you look at any of the? Because you, you haven't played the game. I haven't I'm played assuming. the game. I watched some reviews of it. Did you watch? So had you seen the level that that takes place? Nope. All oh, right. So what's great about that is, <laughs> <laughs> is that that's exactly what happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And this is this is off the back of. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's why you're laughing, but I just but, listened to the first episode of your um, your new podcast. Yeah. Um, wait, sorry, I've forgotten the name of it. Scores Help and Pours. Yeah. Scores and Pours, um, <laughs> where you you and your friend Jill. Yep. Uh, talk about wine and and music. Yeah. And you have a common subject, and I really enjoyed it. But <laughs> right at the beginning of the episode, you're adamant like. There's nothing intrinsic in music. But actually, you know, I, I agree with that. I guess what's <laughs> happening is whatever my cultural reference points for underwater are, yeah. um, are the same as yours. Yep. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you're, I'm right then, you're saying. Yeah, but it's still funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's amazing. That No, that's incredible that that's actually what happens. And I can't, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. wait to go watch that level now. That's wonderful. Yeah. And it's it's a really it's a really nice moment in the game. So the beginning of that level, you're on a little desert island, and so the track that you hear there um, is the desert island one. I can't remember what that's called. Oh yeah, Seeking Shade. It's the track before it oh, on the, yeah, on the yeah. soundtrack. Yep. Which is just a, you know like a little sounds like you're on an island. <laughs> yeah. And um, in the sun, and then you sort of complete that little bit. You're only there for a couple of minutes, and then. That the other the, the other track starts when you go underwater and there's dolphins swimming beside you. Uh, and, then, and then you're in this big cave being attacked by giant eels. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so I mean, that track really, I suppose for me, it's that feeling of, um, I suppose I'm trying to make the music feel a bit treacly, <laughs> <laughs> a bit like thick, Yeah, you know, that kind of, it's it's viscous, that track. <laughs> yes, it is. It's very viscous. And then the other way I do that is like, um, it's, it's kind of muffled. I mean, I'm... A lot of my, I think my tracks, even the way I master them, there's, they're, they're lacking in high frequency compared to a lot of my contemporaries' music. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because I'm really sensitive to high frequencies, so I, I tend to push them down. But um, I think that's a general sort of trope of my music. But this track in particular is a lot more kind of muffled um, yes. sounding. Yeah. Um, and one of the ways that that comes across quite strongly is that the drum break that in the, that's in there is pitched down because it, I, I like the drum break, but it was too fast. But pitching it down also removes the high frequencies because you're losing those as you as you slow it down, and that creates this kind of um, slightly drunk <laughs> um, underwater feeling. 
the other thing that's going on there is the the on the, the sort of the lead um, melodica part. There's a delay to make it feel kind of again a, a bit trippy and underwatery. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, there's just numerous things that you can do uh, to sort of again <laughs> s- back up that sense of of place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So what all did you what did you play for this? I mean, you had to have played. I know that it's, it's super electronic, <laughs> but you had to have played stuff. I mean, obviously yeah. your voice we hear all over the place. Yeah, yeah. If you hear any singing, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've like toned down the Scottishness. Um, <laughs> gone all transatlantic for the benefit of my international audience. Um, Love it. So what did I play? Yeah, a bit of bass guitar. Um, so like the the bass in discotry. That's probably my one of, one of my best bass lines to date. Disco Tree is great, and before don't even, I want to stop you right there because we have to talk about this track. I, I <laughs> <laughs> this track is hilarious, and I just want to hear you talk about disco as a genre and what makes disco <laughs> disco. I've been waiting all day for that. <laughs> what makes disco disco? I mean, well, for me, I mean, the most important thing is, is other than obviously like the the, the the drum kit and what how it's playing and it's four to the floor. Um, huge part is the strings um, because like disco without strings, like it's still disco and I'm sure th- there probably is disco without strings in the world, but like it seems to me like that's such a signature sound that um, it's just, just got to have some of that in there. And um, so so it was it was nice to get a bit of that in there. And then of course the the sort of 1970s um arpeggiated synths um you know it, it immediately go to Donna Summer's I feel love. That's kind of maybe post disco um but it feels like for me that's another sort of touchstone in terms of electronic music which is a nice one to um have as a point of reference um and maybe not so much in terms of like the actual it's not like i've ripped off the riff but just the like <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, yeah. the sound of uh, whatever that is an arp or whatever um it's just really really nice point of reference for any disco based track And then again, there's a, there's a, there's a vocal kind of robotic sound in there that is using um, it's a it's, it's like a, a formant a filter on the synthesizer, which imposes oh. sort of A E I O U type sounds onto the onto the synth. So when you get to the sort of the I guess what is the the chorus in that, you've got this uh, type robot thing. Yeah. And it's that's just me going mad with the uh, the mod wheel <laughs> 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 on this four formant filter, creating this AR kind of um, sounds yeah. in the synth. But the, overall, this track, the the idea, and actually, it's I've done a, did a similar thing on Tearaway, where in the the Orchards track, 
the percussion for me is really important in a in a woodland setting. <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to that track an hour ago. Well, the orchards. The orchard. Yeah, it was like oh, I was just kind of taking a trip down my favorite Kenny Young track lane. <laughs> Get in the Kenny that, music zone. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of them. So I just listened to. Yeah, no, that's funny that you're gonna. Yeah, go ahead. Woodland. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know how much of that specific. I don't know how woody the. Uh, the orchards is, but in my head, the, the percussion in that um, is what fitted with the setting the most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The rest of it was more probably just the you know the vibe you get from the choice of chords and stuff. But because it was like a slightly dark twist in in that in Tearaway. I was definitely had that track in mind when I was um, trying to get this track off the ground to start with, and I started with um, the percussion again because, uh, but more overtly wooden percussion. Um, with disco tree. Yeah, with disco yeah. tree. Because um, and anything that's kind of electronic based, it's good to get you know like the the groove, be it you know the drums or the drums and the bass down first. I find to then just build the track out because it, mm-hmm. it it just that that's what's going to kind of carry it. Because it is, you know, kind of a percussion-led thing. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. kind of dance sound. So, it, that that's what's my starting point. And the wooden sounds are important because because it's it's set in sort of treetops. Um, and again, it's kind of kind of naive, but um, that was my sort of attempt to back up the setting there. And I don't think I necessarily started out wanting it to be um, a disco, but that's kind of how it just. <laughs> ended up and I was like all right let's go with that I wonder if that's um, how disco actually happened in the first place <laughs> just just an accident well, well there's disco <laughs> that's new <laughs> let's do that for a few years Traditional. Tell me about that track. That one's super fun too. The setting is um, kind of canyons, so it's got a, a kind of a, a Mexican mm-hmm. setting, and there's there's hints at that in uh, throughout the level. So for me, it was really a case of wanting to. I think it's difficult when you're representing another culture to, uh, you know, you, you do well. Ideally, you're not going to do it in such a way that it's like offensive right. <laughs> to yeah. anybody yeah. from that culture. So, and that's something I've kind of been aware of ever since I worked on Little Big Planet, where you know I made a real effort to you know research other cultures and um, find out about some of their local music and stuff. And so for this one, um, it's based on mariachi, um, and again, there's a lot of samples in there. Um, but then I've um, replaced a bunch of it. Uh, what what would have been, you know, there's some trumpet in there, but a lot of the parts that would have been trumpet I've actually replaced with the synthesizer. 
Um, and then I've also done something hideous, which probably is offensive to any actual <laughs> mariachi musicians, <laughs> which I've sort of, I sort of decompound timed it. <laughs> <laughs> and like totally straightened it out so I could get my four to the four beat on there. of um, a hybrid <laughs> not fully authentic but it's got enough elements in there I think that it's uh, you know recognizably mariachi but brought into the world of um, Astrobot and uh, yeah and it's but it's also you know it's got that again quite 90s um, sort of breakbeat funk thing going on as well yeah. um, which is just you know sound of my youth <laughs> yes <laughs> inflicted on the youth of today whether they like it or not <laughs> thing that I, I just am always amazed at how you're able to write such cute music too you know not yeah. all of it obviously because there's boss music and stuff that's pretty hectic as we've discussed but there's just such heartbreakingly adorable music <laughs> yet again yeah. you know yep. in this in this score I mean I think it was interesting because like I had this conversation with uh, Nicholas quite a lot where I can't remember what the context was. Maybe it was with the bosses. I'm not entirely sure, but there was definitely a conversation, something along the lines of, um, like, you know, don't worry about trying to make it fun because, you know, you're obviously a fun person. You get that for free. <laughs> um, and I hadn't really sort of, you know, thought about it that way before, but I think that's probably true. I think, um, you know, I, I am a certain way, shall we say, and that, you know, inevitably finds its way into my music. And I think um, that's, I'm sure that's true of all composers where there's there's aspects of their personality uh, or the way they see the world that, you know, is inevitably just sort of put into their work uh, consciously or or not. Um, yeah. And in a way, it's not, <laughs> it's not a nice knowing that because it kind of feels like you're then a bit stuck. <laughs> well... Um, I mean, but that's just one aspect of, you know what I mean? Mm. That's just been a common thread. But that, True, but it's you, also, but like about, I say, it's not, it's not difficult for me to do that, I guess, because of uh, my personality. Like, yeah, um, but like the Orchards, know, I, the, or, the track we were just talking about from Terraway isn't, you know, I can, cute. I can go to my dark place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. of the many colors in which you can compose, and I'm not doing this to be a kiss-ass, because I thought about, I thought about... <laughs> Whether or not I would say this to you because of that reason, I was like, well, you know, you never want to say that to someone and make them feel that way. And and I just, you know, I, I don't think you have the need to feel that way. <laughs> it's just one of the things you're really freaking good at. And <laughs> but, there is, but there is like a, there's related conversation, which I know I've um, spoken to other composer pals about this, which is that being known for something, which is a good thing, because that gets you work, because then people are... Um, I guess lazy <laughs> or conservative or something where, you know, if they've got, um, you know, uh, if, if they've got a multi-million pound project they're working on, they're not going to take a chance on someone who's known for, you know, 
genre X to do something that's outside their comfort zone like that that you know unless they know the composer and want to give them that opportunity um it's much more like they're going to go oh we're working on you know this kind of game who's good at that oh these people let's speak to them and that's just how it works um but the flips of the so yeah it gets you work the downside is that having a reputation is the same thing as being typecast where you then are you know you're you are you're the person who does that and and all composers have to you know come to terms with that um i think the ideal position everyone wants to be in is to be known as someone who um is sort of fearless at tackling um difficult directions so not difficult directions but stuff that maybe other people find difficult i don't know yeah. but i know like my own perception of other people's perception <laughs> of me <laughs> is that i am you know i am really good at doing um cute and uh, that kind of um but but quirky cute because cute in and of itself is like vomit inducing <laughs> um so that's the trick and that's why mm-hmm. um I guess that's why I get people give me money to do this. Is that it's quite hard to do cute without making it vomit inducing. If you can do cute oh, and so have hard. it have that personality, that's the tricky thing. And um, yeah, um, yeah, I've got enough <laughs> tools in my tool bag to, to 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 pull that off. But I'd like to do something else as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Just putting that out there. Anyone wants to take a gamble on their multi-million pound project, I'm uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm your guy. (laughs) I just remember talking to Peter McConnell about this years and years and years ago, Mm. about... uh, how difficult it is to write in that style and also to write funny mm. funny music you know which kind of go can, a lot of times does go hand in hand with quirky and cute you know something yeah. that makes you smile or giggle <laughs> that's really yeah. incredibly difficult to do yeah. uh, and you know way more difficult to do than you know a horror soundtrack you know I'm, I'm always so skeptical whenever I get sent a horror soundtrack <laughs> to a game or a film because I'm just like it's better be good <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah, because it it can be you know a lot of, to me a lot of uh, what makes horror music successful for me as a listener is if it makes me uncomfortable, and right. yeah. it can be kind of easy to make music sound really uncomfortable <laughs> so, or just unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, or unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it's a uh, uh, that has its own challenges. I'm not saying it's always easy, whatever. But um, mm. you know. I don't know. Well, the other thing with um, I think Peter McConnell's music, particularly, you know, thinking about his pioneering work on the, you know, the LucasArts point and click mm-hmm. yeah. stuff, is that, you know, the, the music was super exposed there because it was a surrogate for for sound in many respects because you know <laughs> there yeah. wasn't any, um, right. or it was very very naive and limited to sort of key interactions. The music was sort of it was representing. The, the place in a way that um you know i've been talking about w- with vr i think that it had to kind of be the ambience and the music uh, and fill in that kind of sonic hole um and but as a result it was really that much more front front and center um yeah and that because the music was it, because it was more exposed it was there for kind of more important um much less of a background element um and that also 
it was a difficult skill i think uh at, at that time in particular people who could write music that would you know not be repetitive uh, yeah. and be engaging and uh yeah the the LucasArts games were just phenomenal i was actually yeah. listening to um some of the monk island stuff um today were you um, there's there's a there's a really cute video i'm actually i'm currently um updating the links on an old website of mine called gamesound.org which um it was one of the first uh, <laughs> websites dedicated to game audio really possibly even the first one um and it was really just um for linking to um articles online okay. um when i first got into the games in 2000 and first job was in 2004 so you know 2000 and the early 2000s was when i was sort of getting into it as in you know, studying it and researching yeah. it and you yeah. know there, and there wasn't much out there <laughs> there was a few articles in gamma sutra uh, another couple on the internet and there was uh, then aaron marks uh, the complete guide to game audio came out in like i don't know 2003 2002 something like that okay and it, and that was it you know that that was all you could read about game audio on the internet and then um, so when I actually got my first job, I then just created a little website that was just to point to everything that existed. And it wasn't hard because <laughs> there wasn't much, but I <laughs> yeah. just wanted to have everything in one spot. Um, and I've kept it going over the years, but uh, I haven't updated it for a couple of years. So I'm, I'm, I'm between projects at the moment because my wife and I just had a, had a baby. So I took some time off and it's because I've just not had time to update Game Sound for for a few years and i've given it a bit of an overhaul recently updated the, the wordpress uh, theme and uh, just made sure that all the links that are there are are active and the, the sad thing is that so much of our kind of game audio history and culture is is, is deleting uh oh. off the internet and atrophying yeah. um so thank thank goodness for the the, the way back machine because i'm sort of Making yep. sure that the great thing about having the links to the originals is that you can then search for it on Wayback. If you don't have the link, it's a lot harder to um, find it on the Wayback oh. machine. You kind of you can still search for it, but if you don't get the right, you know, keywords or whatever, you're never going to find it. You're never just not going to find it. <gasps> wow. You might not remember the name of the domain and stuff like that. So actually, having the links saved is uh, really important because then you can get it. So anyway, I'm I've been going through that, and one of the the links I was uh, checking uh, was this little video of. I think it's called something like um, PC music through through the, the eras or whatever, and it's just someone playing a little the same little short snippet of uh, Monk Island music on like a bunch of different sound cards, <laughs> going right back to the PC speaker, and then you know it goes to AdLib and Gravis Ultrasound and MT32 and da 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 da, and you know they're all the same but different, and it's just a really nice little video because you just hear the same bit of music, and I was just listening to it and I was just like, man. It doesn't matter that you know some of these sample sets or FM sounds are crummy because the music yep. is great intrinsically. It's just yep. really good music, and um, I'm not sure if that was Peter McConnell on that on that particular track or not. But I was just listening, going, "Wow, those guys, those guys were great then." I think yeah. that music is still, you know, some of the best game music ever written. Um, oh yeah, and it stands it stands up. It stands up right now, um, and yeah. So there's a whole other <laughs> conversation to be had about that. But yeah, that was interesting how that little thread had uh, been part of my <laughs> my day earlier, <laughs> earlier today. But yeah, huge respect for um, Peter McConnell and Clint Bajakin and all the all the, the, yeah. the audio folk that worked at LucasArts back in the day. Yeah, and no still kidding. do great work. Yeah. Uh, well, what's next for you? You've got this other game coming out in a few weeks and you're taking yes, a break Yes, Nights and Bikes now, is so. out. 
I'm about to start work on another project in September that'll be on for a few months. Okay. Um, but you know, typical game stuff. Yep. I can't say, can't say what it is. Um, yep. but it's a pretty cool, cool project. Um, okay. so yeah, I look forward to telling you about that uh, next year at some point. Um, and then I've got another project I'm booked on for after that as well. Um, nice. so I'm kind of booked up until summer 2021. Um, wow. so you can't have me, all you people <laughs> reaching for the phone. <laughs> Um, which is nice because having a, a new baby is uh, uh, awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this is this is our second kid, so we're kind of the, the baby bit. We've got we've got down walking the park, but having two kids is a whole other world of pain. So um, it's nice having uh, uh, a couple of projects booked up for the next couple of years because it just means that that side of things. I mean, I think that can change very quickly, <laughs> but. Um, they look like relatively safe uh, projects and, uh, and companies to work for. So um, I'm, I'm relatively hopeful that, that that's not going to disappear off the table. <laughs> and, and that's good because like, that's obviously one of the main anxieties of being a freelancer is uh, yes. getting the work lined up. And uh, I'm just really, really fortunate that that's how things have played out because uh, it's just nice to be able to concentrate on the work yep. and not have to um, spend too much <laughs> time on the old administration side of things. <laughs> um, right, which is right. also bad because then if you if you check out too much, then you kind of disappear off everyone's radar. So you do still have to sort of keep your hand in networking mm -hmm. and keep mm -hmm. checking in with people. But yeah, it's just nice to know that uh, whilst I'm maybe not running it 100% <laughs> over the next few months that I've got, you know, work lined up to go on to that, yeah, I'm looking forward to a cool project. I am looking forward to it as well, man. It's always amazing to hear your new music, that's for sure. Awesome. Thank you very much, Emily. Yeah, thank you, Kenny. It's always great, always great to hear from you. Thanks for listening to episode 113 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Kenny at oddbod.com. That's A-U-D-B-O-D, oddbod.com. And see a playlist from this episode at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily. And learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media. <laughs>